Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Leah Walsh, and this is Rosette, the podcast. folks, welcome to the podcast. This is Rosette the Podcast, and I'm Leah. And this is the third in a series of the 10 principles of fair trade. So we've got seven more to go after this one. I'm going to start off by just saying, like, I think I need to broaden my sort of pool of examples, because a lot of people were, <laughs> were like, kind of roasting me a bit about how much I talked about Camino in the last episode about um, transparency and accountability. And it's not my intention really to like promote businesses on here per se. But it's just that there's so many good businesses out there, guys. <laughs> like there's there's actually like really great fair trade businesses out there. And so when they're when they're good examples, I like to give them that's all so but I will I will do my best to give like, you know, if I'm going to give examples or shout outs, I will try to give them more evenly like give out like try to think of like a little bit more than just like a company because I did really just talk about Camino basically. But that's not true. Actually, I did also um, I think I mentioned ethical bean as well. So like there's that. But anyway, so it's really important to uh, to send in that feedback because otherwise I'm just gonna I'm gonna end up in this like echo chamber of just like me like hopelessly enamored of like one company and then <laughs> nobody learns anything. It's, it's just it's just like it becomes a drama podcast about my love affair with this uh, this one company and and nobody nobody wants that. Okay, the third principle of fair trade is fair trading practices and. That seems like just such a nebulous word. So I'm going to talk about what that means. And so trading practices really that are fair is what that means. And trading practices are basically anything connected to how we're negotiating the money slash contract details, things like that. So like, you know, you say to somebody, I'm going to buy like this much, let's say sugar from you over this period of time or whatever. That's all part of trading. So any practices related to that. So setting like time, setting quantities, setting prices, all of that stuff is related to trading practices. So doing that fairly, you know, making sure that you're using fair trading practices is an important part of fair trade. And that is the third principle of fair trade. There's a few different elements of that I wanted to talk about sort of to get a little bit deeper into them. The first is that when I was talking just a moment ago about, you know, how much stuff over what period of time, I think that period of time piece is really important. So I did mention the last episode, it doesn't matter which company I brought up. But I did mention that there are fair trade companies that have been sourcing their stuff from the same producers for literally decades. And part of that is fair trading practices where you don't just decide that because this person has it a little bit cheaper than this person, you just, you know, turn your back on this person who you've had a long term relationship with. The idea is having that kind of stability and sustainability in those relationships where it's not only about price, it's about 
can this person deliver the standard of product that you are looking for? And can they offer it consistently? And, and can you, you know, be in a a long-term trade relationship with this person? And that's really encouraged wherever possible. And the reason for that is because it really encourages not only the buyer to be good to the producer in that, you know, the buyer is saying, okay, like I'm going to give you money over the next 10 years. Well, now that producer can plan over the next 10 years because they know how much money they're going to be getting. But that's not the only benefit. The other benefit too is for the company and the consumers because it is very much in the interest of that producer now to learn about how they can best provide a quality product so that in 10 years time, when that contract is up for renewal, the company is not fed up of their customers complaining about poor quality and they don't say, I'm really sorry, I I have to go over here to get my whatever the product is now. um, Because I just I just I'm not happy with the quality of the product that you're giving me. And so it really is a good way to encourage that mutually beneficial relationship where on the one hand, the producer is getting a lot out of it because the producer has the kind of financial stability that they wouldn't otherwise have if they didn't have this long-term customer. But also it's beneficial to the company and the consumer because they then have a little bit of Um, you know, bargaining power in terms of really encouraging that farmer not to just completely drop off the quality so that they, they then lose that really beneficial contract that they've had for the past decade. So it's, it's just sort of the situation where everybody wins. Whereas if you have a really short term contract, where you're just like, I will buy the thing from you once. (laughs) And so you get the thing, as the buyer, and you're, let's say you're happy with it. Well, you're not obligated then to go back to that person the next time you buy it. So if someone else has something for one cent cheaper, you could just go there. And it doesn't really affect you that much. But it really, really negatively affects that producer, because now that producer is just sort of trying to fish anywhere they, you know, they, they're sticking their feelers out for any customer they can find because they don't have that sort of sustainable financial security that they would have if you went to them and said, Hey, I'll buy this much over the next 10 years. And so it's really beneficial for producers to be able to have that long-term relationship with their buyers. And so that's one part that is really encouraged in fair trade is to really build that relationship. It's also very personal. We talked about in the transparency episode, I see I told you to come back up. (laughs) In the transparency episode, we talked about how it's really about that human element. That human element is super important. So if you've gotten to know Johnny, from the co-op and you know, your your BFFs and you are on Zoom calls every so often figuring out like, you know, details of contracts or uh, working through any issues they might be having in the co-op or whatever. If you're in contact with that person over the course of a long period of time, of course, you're going to keep working with that person, you know, their work, you care about them now as a person, you want them to be successful, it's become a partnership. And that's really what we're trying to encourage in these types of trading practices, where we have these long term relationships, is that 
we can sit down and say, okay, listen, you do have to provide a good quality of produce. So it has to be consistent quality, but I will purchase over this long period of time so that you have the ability to plan for the future, perhaps to grow bigger, perhaps to invest in ways to increase how many uh, canes of sugar or whatever you can grow in the same area per year and so on. And this is really beneficial for both parties, but in particular for the producers. And so this is why many, many times in conventional trade, it's left behind because the person who's more powerful, that is to say the person who's holding the money, the buyer, they, it doesn't really make that much difference to them, but it makes a huge difference to the consumer or to the producer, sorry. And so it's really important for that to be in place for fair trade practice for fair trading practices so that there is that that sort of stability the other thing that is really crucial in this sort of under the umbrella of fair trading practices is any kind of producer who's working with raw materials or in agriculture which is almost any producer (laughs) um The really crucial thing is that when you are making things, all of the input happens first, and then the purchase happens after a lot of the time. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're a person who's like a a maker who makes um, handmade recycled paper greeting cards. Well, it's entirely possible, I suppose, that someone could write to you and say, hey, um, could you make me greeting cards and you would not have put anything in and they pay you up front. But conventionally, that's not how it works. Normally, you have to find the paper, recycle, put it, make it into recycled paper, create that paper into the shapes or whatever, assemble it into the card, package it up and have it ready to go. And then you're able to sell it. So one of the really important things when you're a maker or when you're a, produ- a producer of whatever type, whether you're a maker or you're, you're you know, gr- a farmer who's growing cotton or whatever it is, all your input comes at the front, at the beginning of the relationship. So if everything is, you know, if you have to buy raw materials to make the cards or to plant the cotton or to hire the person to sow the fields or whatever... All of that expense happens at the beginning and you don't have anything to show for it until you've made or grown the product that will be sold. Credit is huge. Credit is so important. So if you're in particularly for farmers, but for all, all producers or most producers, it's so helpful. Credit needs to be extended under fair trade. So in fair trade relationships, Buyers have to be willing to extend up to 50% credit to the producer at the time of the agreement. So what that means is that let's say the producer is a uh, cotton producer. Well, perhaps the cotton will be ready in July, but you've approached them in March and you've said, okay, at, you know, the end of the summer or whatever, I'm going to need this much cotton. The producer is allowed to say, okay, great, that's worth, let's say, 10 units and I need five units payment now before we even finalize this deal. And with fair trade, they have to do that. They're required to do that. 
because that farmer has to go out and get cotton seed. They have to possibly get equipment to till the earth. They have to possibly, um, well, they have to cover their own labor and or any of their families or like, you know, sometimes they will hire a couple workers here and there. All of that labor has to be paid for throughout the whole season. They have to make sure that they have money for any kind of fertilizer. If they have to uh, put anything in place for like, like irrigation, any kind of water, any of that, all of these things cost money. And so if the person says, I want all this cotton and I'm not going to pay until the end, well, then what money are they using to be able to do all of the things to grow the cotton? And the answer is they're not. They have no money to do that. So they have to be willing as buyers to extend credit to these farmers to be able to actually grow the product. So in, in farming in particular, it is so, so crucial. And also, you know, just sort of, this sounds so basic, but just like in general, like, don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> like kind of don't be a dick, you know, like don't, don't go into the trading negotiation and say to yourself, how do I like squeeze this guy as much as possible to get as much as possible out of him for as little as possible. It's about really having an open and honest conversation about what can and can't be done. It's about actually listening to the producer who often is in the the more vulnerable situation and saying, okay, like, what is your reality? For example, what does it cost you to ethically produce this cotton, this uh, sugar, this, uh, these greeting cards, whatever they are, what does it cost you to do them? And then what does it cost you, you know, accounting for a living wage and everything? What does it cost you after that? And, and going from there as a minimum and just sort of taking the time to consider the needs of everybody in the room. And, you know, for me, this is common sense. I think for a lot of us, this is common sense. But the problem is that, again, so often we end up not actually being in the room with somebody. We end up sort of forgetting that there's any kind of like humanity on the other end of the line. This is going to seem like a silly analogy, but the number of times I have gotten into an argument with somebody via email or via Facebook or text message or what have you, that never would have happened if we were sitting in the same room as each other. It's bananas. You know, I remember when I was, I, so I, t I used to teach at the, at a university and one of my students sent me this email and it was um, like to the effect of you screwed up when you marked my assignment, you're going to fix it or else. And like just signed her name. And I got the email and I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> that's, this is, this is aggressive. And so the next day we had class and I went through the class, like nothing had happened. You know, I gave my lecture and everything. And at the end of the class, I said, Hey, I'd like to have, and I said her name, you know, come up and see me after class, please. So she comes up at the end of the class and she comes up and, and she's sort of staying there and I'm packing my bag, whatever. There's other kids that have questions. And once all the other students have gone, I said to her, oh, okay. So, um, so I got an email from you. Did you want to ask about something or, 
And she said to me, oh, yeah, um, I wondered because like I had been going through my assignment and I noticed that there was like some stuff that like didn't make a lot of sense in like, um, like how how it was graded. And like I want like like only if you have time, of course, but like I wondered if you could like look over it again. And just the night and day of that versus the email that she sent me, because it's so easy to forget that I'm a human when she's sitting in front of a computer screen. Whereas when I'm standing right in front of her, she's like, oh, right. Like, I would never talk to my mother that way. I would never talk to a colleague that way. Why am I talking to my professor that way? And so I think like it's it might seem like a strange example, but I do think that it's a pretty good representation of the difference it makes when you actually have a personal relationship, a transparent relationship with the person that you're actually corresponding with. And so with fair trading practices, I think the thing that is most crucial is that this is actually somebody that you are constantly keeping in mind. Okay, this is like, this could be my brother. This could be my best friend. This could be my mom. This could be, you know, and really having that like anchor in the fact that like, this is another human being and this is like their livelihood at stake as well. And we have to consider what's important for everybody in the room. So that's about all I have on the third principle of fair trade, which is fair trading practices. I really want to add a lot more about like the actual amount that is paid. I'm like really resisting the urge to jump into that. But the thing is, that's the fourth principle of fair trade. So we're going to talk about that in the next installment of this series, because the fourth principle of fair trade is payment of a fair price. And that's going to be coming up next. But all of that stuff also sort of fits into fair trading practices, because of course, trading is all about exchanging money. And so it's really hard to not dip my toe too much into the payment of a fair price. But that is that is going to be really elaborately discussed in a future episode. So don't you worry too much. That's about what I have for today. So thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and give me a five star review. I'm going to keep saying it because I know some of you haven't done it yet. That's the thing. See, I know some of you hadn't done it. So I'm going to keep saying it. Um, but yes, it, it does really it does really help because I am an independent podcast. I don't have any kind of sponsors or anything because I mean, quite frankly, who will want to sponsor someone like me who's going to basically be like, oh my God, businesses suck. But <laughs> anyway, so um, because it is completely independent and because I don't have advertising, I'm actually working on on setting up a Patreon at the suggestion of some of you guys. So um, you can keep an eye out for that in a future episode. And also back on the topic of what you can do if you don't want to give me money is please to help me compete with the people who have tons and tons of money and who are making, you know, big podcasts and advertising them and everything. Please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and give me a five star review. Because Without that, I just I can't compete with these huge, giant podcasts. So I really appreciate any support in that capacity as well. There's no need to send money my way necessarily. But if you subscribe and you give me a five star review, that is just as awesome. I am just as happy with that. And thank you so, so much. That's it for now. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye for now.